Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number five of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Jennifer Shahadi. Jennifer is a longtime PokerStars Mind Sports ambassador, a Global Poker Award winner, renowned author, two-time U.S. women's chess champion, and just a wonderful, friendly, and happy person. Today, we'll get to know her a little better. Jennifer, welcome to Cards Chat. I'm really happy to be speaking with you. Me too, Robbie. Although I have to say, um, I wish it was in Vegas or Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we have right now, and uh, it will only make the uh, eventual in-person meeting sweeter. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I share the same sentiments. Thank you. Um, So, of course, people who are familiar with your career, they obviously know that you're big into chess, you're big into poker. At what point in your life did you first get into each of those games? And what is it about each of those games that appeal to you? Well, I first got into um, chess when I was very young, probably around five, my dad taught me. But I didn't really become hooked on the game until a lot later, uh, like high school. Um, so maybe like 12 or 13, 13, I guess is when I really, I was okay before that. Like I was still playing because my brother and my dad are both chess masters. So it was all around me, but I didn't really get hooked until a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then poker, uh, I was a little late in that as well. Um, kind of like a pattern for me that I dabble in something for a few years and then act after a long period, I suddenly dive into it. Um, and poker was kind of similar. So I first learned a couple years after college and then got really into it around like maybe 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. And, and what is it about those games that appeal to you? Well, chats I love because I think that it's a um, almost like a historical time capsule in that and we've been playing the same exact game for over 500 years. Uh-huh. And so we can look at games by um, our ancestors and see like what they were thinking. Like you can really try to get into the people's brains so many years ago, which is amazing. It kind of creates this, um, this connection to the past and the history. So I love that about the game of chess. And I love that, it teaches you the slow experience because it's so absorbing. Um, when you're playing in a chess game, you're not thinking about anything else. And right now, that's a particular importance because our attention is so divided by you know, social media pings. And so I think chess is incredibly valuable for children to show them that experience so that they make, even if they don't end up becoming chess players, they can find it in other things, whether it's music or writing or sport or falling in love. They can kind of recognize that feeling of just being fully in the moment. And then poker. Uh Poker is different. I think poker, I love about poker that I think it's a great personal challenge um, that teaches you about your weaknesses when it comes to, you know, psychology and your relationship with money and also about what you're noticing about other people and what you're not noticing. So I think poker is like more like life than chess, and Ooh. therefore it has some very practical lessons to teach most of us. 
So that's what I like about it. Those, those are some really great answers. And uh, you know, I, I, like, I like the chess answer about the deep thinking, and I couldn't agree with that more. It's difficult to sort of shut everything off, and it's cool that chess can do that. I think poker can do that, too, when you're, when you're really concentrating, whether it's studying or at the table. Uh, you've got that deep thinking and, of course, the interactive nature. Um, absolutely love it. And, you know, in I know in an interview you gave uh, a few years ago about poker, you had said uh, an interesting sentence. You said, I love poker, but I'm against gambling because I like to be in control. So in, in relation to that quote specifically, I'm wondering maybe do you prefer tournaments or cash games as far as the, the control? I think as a storyteller, I like um tournaments you know i'm I, I have this uh artistic side to me so i like the beginning middle and end um but i i think that i see what you're getting at that um tournaments do have more of a gambling um element to them in a way i mean first of all i, I mean i don't think poker is gambling but obviously there's some overlap i mean it's played in casinos and you can certainly approach it as a gamble like if you play a to the um, extreme level, if you play in, you know, all in or full tournament, one hand, you know, like that would be just pure gambling, right? Right. So it obviously has some aspects of that. And but you can say that a tournament um, it essentially that because the variance is so much higher. So it has that more gambling feel to it that people are after like a lottery ticket. But um, on the other hand, it also controls the amount of money that you invest, which can be really useful for people who are trying to create a stop loss that they stick to. Right. For sure. For sure. So I think it, it can go both ways. There's a lot more variance in tournaments. You need a bigger bankroll, or you need a you know a bigger unit of you need more units um, than you would for like a comparable cash buy-in. But at the same time, it can be useful to like ward off those like negative feelings of needing to like rebuy, rebuy, apply, rebuy. Right. Huh. That's good. I like that. I, I love answers that make me think. I feel like, you know, when I, I already know I need to re-listen to this just to learn from it. It's great. It's a good answer. Um, about uh, tournaments, uh, I noticed from uh, your Hendon Mob results, I couldn't help but scroll through them, and I noticed that all of your tournament caches have come in No Limit Hold'em events except for two, and those were in Open Face Chinese, and that's an interesting game. Uh, what do you like about that game? Oh, I love that game when it came out because I guess the cool thing about that game is at the time there wasn't um, Poker Stars where I live because of Black Friday. Um, right now I live in Philadelphia, so I'm very lucky that I'm one of the first states to receive online poker. Mm -hmm. So, or to have it, you know, regulated, um, receive as if it's like falling from the sky. No, a lot of work went into that, no doubt. But New Jersey the poker, right, the poker the yeah. Right, the poker right. gods bestow upon Pennsylvania some, some online poker to play, right? Yeah, so I'm lucky that I have that, but at the time there wasn't. And so um, I was playing some open fight based tiny poker, and um, I just really gravitated towards the game because it's very puzzle like. And also, I was able to play on my phone. So I got a lot of iterations um, with my friends. And I became just one of the best at it because I was playing a lot, but I was also studying the math of it along with some of my friends like Bill Chen who wrote the mathematics of poker. Um, and I felt really proud of the fact that I was able to um, develop the theory um, on my own. It's kind of like with No Limit Hold'em, we already know a lot of the, the theory when we start out and then a lot of the more advanced theory based on solvers is you know, very complex 
and you need to be like a computer programmer to like create the programs and to interpret it. But with open space, some of it was like pretty simple, like probability and combinatorics that a lot of people weren't really bothering to try to figure out and then go beyond just figuring it out. But like, how do you use that to like, you know, be better at the game than other people? You sometimes use the word heuristics for that or rules of thumb, meaning that you figure out this probability and then you say, okay, now that you know the probability of like hitting a floss or getting to fantasy land, um, how do you try to train yourself to get use that information correctly? And I, I was just really good at that. So I um, was also the first female coach at Run at Once and I made videos about the game. Um, I don't think I made as much money as I should have or could have, honestly. Because I was a little bit, I tend to be a bit conservative um, when it comes to gambling. Um, but I was still really proud that I put myself in that situation to be one of the best and play the high roller and win it. So yeah, I had very great memories. Unfortunately, I stopped playing at some point because I felt like the game, partly because it's so mathematically oriented and it's not regulated, at some point I just didn't feel comfortable because while my edge was maybe still there, maybe it wasn't as big. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Interesting. Like, like, I also agree. I mean, obviously, uh, No Limit Hold'em is the game. It's obviously synonymous with poker across the, the mainstream, but there are all of these other different variants. Open Face Chinese, uh, a little bit more of a niche, but of course, there are plenty of other variants. There's, you know, Seven Stud, Stud High Low, there's Raz, uh, there's Omaha, PLOA, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff. Do Seven Triple Draw. I mean, do you play, besides, I guess, Open Face Chinese and No Limit Hold'em, do you play any other variants? And I'm specifically asking because I imagine it would be slightly easier, and correct me if I'm wrong, to try to get a little bit of an edge in those somewhat less popular variants. I think it depends. Yeah, but I agree. I mean, it's hard because No Limit Hold'em is so popular that if most people are playing that game um, and most new players are playing that game, a lot of times it is easier to get an edge in that game just because that's where the new people are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, um, if, if people, you know, just learn a lot about the game and there's not new blood, then I agree probably going gravitating towards other games is a good idea. Um, yeah, no, it's always been on my list. I think it, you know, when I do go to the casino and play a little bit of mixed games or, um, find myself in one online, I definitely have some great intellectual enjoyment. Um, so I'm certainly more interested in getting, uh, some more knowledge. You know, with WPOOP coming up um, for PA, um, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of more variants. So maybe I'll, I'll try more than I usually do. Yeah, future uh, online Spady Badoogie winner, uh, Jennifer Shahadi, right? <laughs> so. now, one of the problems with that is there's a couple things, though, with mixed games. One is like, it's hard to play a mixed game in a regular in a regular schedule at the same time, right? Because you don't want to have like three, you know, three or four women no holding tournaments and then like a few mixed games. I mean, I, I'm sure some people can do it very easily, like Sean B, but for a lot of people, that's just confusing mentally because, mm-hmm. you know, you're using your like kind of, you're kind of chunking your decisions and then suddenly you have a totally different game. Yep. Um, and then also it can be difficult for streamers because you have this like setup based on no limit hold on, and then you have to like switch it up for mixed game. Right. At least for my streaming, because my streaming, I usually do poker and chess at the same time. So uh, I have a very like, specific setup. But yeah, I, I definitely, I know you're a big mixed games advocate, and um, I was hoping to play in your mixed games 
event in Las Vegas this year and donate some money, but I guess I'll have to wait till next year. <laughs> the donation envelope is always open. <laughs> Just because I like it doesn't mean I'm good at it, but yeah, so, so hopefully uh, at that time, uh, eventually it'll happen. But uh, no, it's good to hear that uh, you're not just uh, no limit hold'em only. I think it's uh, part of why I advocate for mixed games, just as, a, as an aside to all of our listeners here at Cards Chat, is poker isn't just one game. There's so many great games to enjoy. So it's good to, to hear that uh, from a professional such as yourself. And also, as you said about the, the streaming, those who tune in to your stream on Twitch, uh, they expect chess, they expect No Limit Hold'em. They don't necessarily even expect, even if you did have the overlays and presentation ready, you'd have to go ahead and start explaining probably from A, a lot of the games uh, to, to the audience. And maybe, you know, maybe not enough people would be interested in it. It's, it's tough to attract that new audience. So good, good observation. Um, one, one of the questions we like to ask all of our interviewees here uh, at the Cards Chat podcast are, who are the friendliest poker players that you've come across and enjoy sitting at the hip tables with? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Yeah, because it's been so long since I played live. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to think about it for a second. Um, I'm trying to look over some of my like, recent grid guests, and I'm like, well, who have I played with live? who's been really, really friendly um, because there's so many introverts in poker, right? Sure. Um, let's see. Well, well, let me ask you who are yours. Maybe that'll jog my memory. Oh, well, that's it. That's actually the easiest question I can answer because it's not necessarily professional. I have a regular home game. And oh, yeah. I've been playing with them for 15 years, uh, you know, both close to where I live and, and where my dad lives. And I play in both home games and, you know, I love getting together with it because win or lose, you know, I'm playing with my friends. So uh, not necessarily an answer people uh, can re resonate with people unless you've got your home games. Uh, I can't say uh, any particular big name pros. I haven't gotten the opportunity to play in huge events or anything, but I'm, I'm a big uh, home game advocate as well. Have you ever done home games? Oh, yeah, sure. Sometimes that, I mean, playing with your friends is always like really fun, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and I love, I actually really enjoy playing in a lively, talkative game. Um, when I play in charity tournaments, of course, everybody is just like, you know, talking all the time. It's just so much fun. Oh, I do remember um, e E.K. is a really fun person. She's super fun to play. Like, That's uh, Esther Taylor Brady, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I I think that um, when you're playing when you're playing live and you're having a great time, there's nothing like it. But the only issue with it is generally it's hard to play as well when you're having a blast, and that's okay sometimes because poker is not just always about maximizing your EV. But I I, I think that uh, that is uh, that that's the one tricky thing. You got to kind of like because uh, when, when I start being talkative and stuff, I just don't stop. Right. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to scale it back in, you know. Like you're telling a great story, you're laughing with everyone, and then you get aces, and suddenly it's like you're you're in headlights. And whereas normally you might have no tells, right? Right. It's, it's a very tricky spot, and I, that's why I admire um, players who are elite players who are able to combine being super extroverted with um, you know playing well, like you know somebody like. Uh, um, obviously, Daniel Negron is a you know typical example because he's so chatty. Um, or you know, Dan Smith is somebody who's you know young and 
and uh, very high-end. Um, he's often very chatty at the tables as well. Okay, that's great. Love it. I love the insight as well. And, and sure, it's true. It is also, we've all watched Daniel and Dan. Uh, we, we've watched these people at the poker tables and it, we watch them because they're entertaining. But, you know, in the back of our minds, we do, of course, have to remember, hey, they managed to do that and also be gigantic winners. So that is uh, quite an incredible skill to have. Um, are there any favorite places that you've played uh, live poker? Yeah. Oh, and one other player, Chris Moneymaker, is also uh, obvious. Because he's just got a great personality. He's, like, nice to everybody, even, like, the complete moves. And, you know, he's just one of those people that epitomizes one of my the most important, um, I think, philosophies in life, which is that nobody's better than you and nobody's worse than you. And I think that Chris is just, that's why he's been such a great ambassador for the game for so many years, that that is, you know, that is Chris Money. Absolutely. Shout out to the man. All right. Uh, and favorite places to play? I like playing in Las Vegas. I love oh. Vegas. I love Vegas. It's such an obvious answer, but it's, it's a place where I really feel like I've also, you know, going to the World Series over the years, I've really seen this kind of evolution of Las Vegas into like a more um, techie town, a more, you know, not just about like, you know, people going for like their bachelorette or bachelor parties, but, it, you know, a real like beautiful destination where you can see nature and, you know, eat great food um, and see music. I, I love the place and I'm a little sad because I know that it's obviously getting hit hard by this time. So I can't wait to go back and, you know, funnel some donations into that city, you know, like go to some shows, eat some food. I, I'm really, I'm really uh, waiting for that moment. With all this donation talk, I didn't realize you're such a big uh, philanthropist at the felt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really great thing. Is there a particular Las Vegas room uh, beyond the, uh, the World Series uh, at the Rio uh, that you like playing when, you know, when it's not uh, bracelet events? I like playing with the wind. I mean, they've got so many great restaurants and it's just such a nice atmosphere. And they had a lot of, what I liked is they had a lot of like one day tournaments because sometimes I'm pretty busy and I can only get away for like a weekend mm-hmm. or like a long weekend and then fly back to my family. So it's it's great if I can play like more events, right? And, um, you know, when they're like a four or five day long event, then obviously it's great if you're in there. But you also have to plan accordingly, so you can't really make it a quick weekend because then you don't want to like switch all your plans, right? Of course. So I, I thought that was like a really good niche that um, the wing was trying to fill, like awesome. really well organized but very quick tournaments. Awesome. Well, everyone loves Vegas, and uh, the wind is, of course, one of the top rooms in the city. Um, let's take a step back for a sec. An interesting area in which chess and poker overlap is that there are relatively few women who play both of those games professionally as opposed to men. Uh, It seems like, to me at least, we've been working to try and boost female participation in poker for quite a few years now. And I know, of course, you have worked personally very, very hard to promote chess and poker in general and to women specifically. So from your perspective, in, in what discipline do you feel that the efforts that have been put in have been more successful over the last few years? That's a good question. Where have they been more successful, poker or chess? Um, you know, they're very different because in poker, we're looking to get adult women, obviously, and in chess, we're looking to get, you know, a lot of the efforts focus on children, you mm. know, getting girls, because for a couple of reasons, because in chess, if you get more girls into the game, then um, they gain like confidence and skills that can help them for the rest of their life, even if they quit later. Um, and I've noticed 
that can be really successful because what you get is you get the parents helping you, right? The parents see that like Jennifer Yu, who's the current US women's champion, she's only 18 years old, amazing, right? She um, is going to Harvard, right? And right. obviously she's a good student, but no doubt being the best female chess player in the country, you know, um, raise the eyebrows of the admissions board, right? Well, <laughs> parents see that and they see that, you know, that not only can chess help them with their kids' network, but it can also help them with their confidence and even their practical chances to be super successful online. Um, and I love to see it. You know, I, I, for me, it's also about the community. I do this uh, girls club for the U.S. Chess Federation. Um, and I'm basically the director of U.S. Chess Women. And one of the big projects I do is to get all these girls together. And usually we do it in person. But now, obviously, we've been doing it online. And it's always one of the highlights of my week, honestly, Rabbi. I mean, you got like 100 girls from all over the country, mostly between the ages of like 9 and, 13, and 15, I'd say. That's amazing. And yeah. And they're, they're all like making friends and learning and... Um, you know, just the energy for me is so magnificent. And there's there's such a diversity of types of people too. Um, that it's really changed my perspective because I'm now much more um much more considerate of like the efficiency that online allows us. Obviously I'm excited to get all the girls together in person again, but I've learned a lot. And um as for poker, I think that there's a lot of great efforts all over the the world, really to also do that kind of community building. Because I think that's the, the struggle. Like I was watching this um, video by Fedor the other day about his like grind house or something. And he's going with, doing like a video series of the grind house um, and every single person is a guy, right? Like, right. I don't know how many are in the house. It might be like 20 or so, mm -hmm. but it's like 20 out of 20. And mm -hmm. the rea and I, I mean, the reality is that that is a lot of the high state poker group. You know, that's the reality. It's not like you, it's, it's, um, the percentages are like screwed or something in the video, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, if women are going to succeed in, on that level, they need to either be integrated into those groups or create their own, right? right. Those are the options because it's very difficult to just do it by yourself, right? Mm -hmm. you, you actually had, if I recall correctly, this isn't even in my notes, but if my memory serves me right, you were part of sort of a, a group, uh, the Grind Debts. Is that right? Oh, yeah, that's right. My friend um, Katie Stone uh, many years ago started this, uh, this, like, uh, this group of quartet where the idea that we, we would highlight that all sorts of women um, are really serious about the game of poker and that this kind of network would be useful for a model see that other people um can can make friends with female poker players and kind of rise together because you end up traveling with these people right um and working on the game and uh, as we've seen through all the crazy things that happened with poker over the last 15 years um being able to like get up and go and with somebody else is you know really important right yeah. All right. So, what, did, did uh, the grind get to meet with success? Did you did you find uh, sort of that people were responsive to that? That uh, we, well, you know, women got into the game because of that. I think. I mean, since then, certainly there have been a lot of success from female players. But um, yeah, I, I and I became very good friends with uh, everybody in that group. Mm -hmm. So yeah, certainly, I think that um, there's more and more women's groups now in in poker and. They're very large. We've got like 
so many of them. I don't even, I don't even want to leave anyone out because there's so <laughs> many, there's so many um, great groups. For sure. Um, it, it's tough though, because one thing I find is that most, my husband is not a poker player, but uh, one of the difficult things I think with female friendships in poker is that generally women, um, a lot of them date poker players or um, have dated a poker player and remained friends with them. And that's, that's great. Um, but because there's more men who are like high stakes players or who are in these high stakes groups, a lot of times women would prefer to get poker advice from them just because they played higher stakes games. So I noticed a lot of times in women's poker groups, um, it sometimes could veer towards other types of conversations because if you have a boyfriend that you discuss poker with and he's playing really high stakes, a lot of times they just kind of stick with that, right? right. That's understandable. But I think that that is, um, you know, something that could uh, could make it harder for these groups to really, like, you know, ascend to the level of, like, the groups that have made, like, so much money that, sure. in that I'm referring to, you know? Sure. I guess it's sort of uh, one step at a, t- at a time and, uh, I guess, a natural evolution. I guess, you know, 25 years ago, this didn't exist at all. So at least there's this now and perhaps, you know, five to ten years from now, we will see uh, some further development uh, on that front. You never know. Um, yeah, and I noticed it in chess too, Robbie. I mean, women become friends, but they don't talk about the game as much as men become friends. It's, hmm. it's really a phenomenon that I've seen in chess too. And I don't necessarily think that it's bad because maybe it's just that they need these games, these, these worlds are so unforgiving that like women are looking for like emotion, emotional support and networks to kind of like, you know, talk about like who to trust and not to trust, mm-hmm. not necessarily strategic advice. So it could be that it's not a bad thing, but it is an interesting thing that I've noticed in both both universities. For sure. Uh, we've mentioned um, that you know that you live in Philadelphia. We mentioned online poker. Uh, can't help but but ask this question: uh, Poker Stars launching in Pennsylvania a, while, a little while back. It was obviously a very big deal, uh, as you mentioned. So especially now during the pandemic, I've got to ask, how much time do you spend playing online poker now? And is it significantly more than usual in, in non-pandemic times? Well, for me, it's interesting because PokerStars PA launched in November of 2019. And I had some traveling, so I got to play a little bit out as much as I like. And then, um, of course, I was very blessed to see that like, I was able to actually play regulated online poker. Um, during the pandemic. So yeah, I definitely played more. Although it, it's a little, di- the one thing that's difficult about the pandemic is all of my, I mean, for me, I'm very lucky that uh, my my uh, my family hasn't gotten sick and that everybody, you know, was gainfully employed. So we, we feel really fortunate. Obviously, it's a horrible thing that's devastating so many lives in, in the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that would be really the bad thing about the pandemic. But also for me from a personal level um it's created a kind of like a bit of like a, a workaholic vibe mm-hmm. and that there's so much to do online and i you know sometimes it can disconnect you from the world outside you know from nature from family and from you know just from being you know not sitting all day right right so that 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 is a bit of a struggle um but i think that online poker being available to us in PA right now is, you know, it's really, it's really amazing. I feel really lucky. Yeah. Do you, do you approach online poker differently than you do live poker? Well, I consider myself more of an online poker player than live, honestly. Um, I came to online first. 
I love live because I love meeting people mm-hmm. and I have that extrovert side to me. But in terms of the game itself, I, I, I tend to prefer online because you get so many more iterations and you can just absorb yourself in the game itself, not in the also social atmosphere as well. So they're very different to me. But um, yeah, I approach it differently because I'm online. I actually have the sense that I can get better in the short term because you get to play so much. For so sure. You, you, you study at five and you're like, okay, you can get the same spot the next day, right? He's right. Not every time, but there's a good chance we'll get the same spot the next day. Whereas live, it's like, it's more of like a mental game thing because it's going to be hard, like strategically to, um, you know, get better in like a very short period of time, just, just using your live experience. Cause what's going to happen is you can actually just confuse yourself and, you know, overthink something or, you know, think you could have folded when really it was just cooler. It's just very easy for even the smartest people in the world to overinterpret bad luck and good luck in live poker. And so I feel like that's why in live poker, focus, concentration, and mental game are the most important. Whereas in online poker, you get to really work on the strategy. So that mm-hmm. to me, that's the difference. That's a, that's a great answer. And it speaks to your professionalism. So many people, they think, okay, you're a professional online poker. It means you make a living from the game, but there's so much more to it than that. And today's professionals, the successful professionals, it's very much about the study. It's about what you put in. And uh, the more you study, the better you, you hone your craft, uh, the better you know, over the long run you will perform. And, and your answer certainly speaks to that. Um, I imagine the definition of sort of uh, quote unquote a typical day has kind of changed quite a bit for you over the years. And uh, I imagine, of course, now it's got to be, you know, you mentioned sort of the workaholic business. You're very busy online, but perhaps it's a little bit more difficult to have a, a structured routine uh, in these times. Are you more of a, a planner and you like things sort of set rigid with a schedule and routine or do you like sort of being spontaneous and, and mixing things up? Mm, yeah, I usually have more of a routine, especially now, actually. I used to travel all the time, so that was actually more, every day was a bit different because sometimes, you know, when you're done traveling, you're catching up on everything. Now, I think it's a little bit more um, regular, and it's basically just um, hanging out with my family, and then when I'm not, like, working on my projects or helping other people with theirs, like, all of the time. Um, so, yeah, that's that's different because I think that it's definitely been a big upsurge in, um, in, in the activity because chess is booming. Poker is doing well as well. I, mm-hmm. I mean, the chess boom is particularly remarkable. Um, and poker is also doing well during these times. So there's just a lot going on. I mean, I've got two podcasts, a book, a women's program that's kind of all has unlimited potential in that. There's so many people right now who are kind of cut off from their normal hobbies and, and um, you know, intellectual stimulation because some things have been canceled. And so there's just unlimited potential. Like I get, you know, right now we're working on a partnership with girls in Kenya. So American girls are meeting Kenya girls and they're learning from each other about chess and also their cultures. I'm getting, you know, inquiries about bringing chess into, um, you know, female juvenile detention centers. It's just very, it's unlimited. You could spend, I could spend, you know, every, every hour of the day kind of pursuing these opportunities to, you know, bring more joy to people right now. 
and it still wouldn't be enough, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's not that it wouldn't be enough because you know you are you can only do what you can do. But I'm just saying there would still be there would always still be more. You know, right. there's unlimited right. there's unlimited potential right now because I think that the the worlds that I am in are lucky in that they're not as devastated by this pandemic in in that you know it's like podcasting, chess, and poker. I mean, and writing. Like these are literally four things that you can do from your computer from home, right? Sure, sure. So, and, you know, streaming and commentary, all of the things that I kind of do on a regular basis are now things that people want to know a little bit more about. And so, you know, you want to be able to provide as much as you can for people in this difficult time. Mm-hmm. And then you're obviously keeping incredibly busy and you've mentioned it and I see it uh, on, through your social media, everything you're putting out, all of your content. It's, it's pretty incredible. But, you know, we all know it's, it's important. You got to know how to tap those breaks. Um, you know, how do you sort of know, like, is, is there sort of maybe even a, a guilt association of like, oh, I have to I have to stop and sleep? Or do you do you do other things to sort of relax? Like, how do you sort of tap those breaks and, and give yourself some some Jennifer time? I'm working on it. My old strategy didn't really work anymore. My old strategy was that I would like, you know, go out, take myself out to lunch because that would like force me to go on a walk and like, you know, then like read a book at lunch. And I would also always, I was addicted to like these group fitness classes, um, you know, like whether, whether it's spinning or bar or CrossFit, I, I did everything. Basically, I was very uh, promiscuous about the fitness world. I was just going <laughs> and, and, and figure out like, and, and like, I, I didn't do class pass, but I was basically that type of person. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, that's all canceled pretty much. And oh, some of them have come back, but we're, I'm not, I'm not going down that road. I'm being a little bit more cautious because it does seem like indoor fitness is potentially maybe on the side of slightly riskier. Um, but I, I um, I'm not doing that, and I'm and I'm not going to your restaurants either. So I've been um, a little bit uh, perplexed by what to do, and what you know. So I've been trying to get into like online fitness classes, and then also like I've been playing these um, games that I have always um, avoided before. Um, I've been playing like a weekly mafia kind of werewolf like game with friends, uh-huh. and it's just nice to do something that is just a social activity online, even though it's about, it's about games. So yeah, those are two things I've been trying to do. And then, nice. and then, you know, trying to make plans to take my son on like day trips and stuff. Oh, very nice. Beautiful. Uh, well, I mentioned, uh, you know, you've mentioned uh, two podcasts. I'm going to only focus on one, uh, the poker one. I did mention in uh, the introduction, you are a a global poker award winner, um, referring to the grid specifically. That's what won you the coveted podcast of the year title. I'm wondering why did you decide to get into podcasting in the poker niche in the first place? And and well, we'll start with that. Well, let, let's find out the why. Oh, well, you know, um, I think if the reason I started a podcast is because I came up with the idea for the grid. It wasn't like I was like, I need to do a podcast. So what's my idea? Didn't work like that. Mm. It was the other way around. It was more like I had this idea to create, go on a scavenger hunt and find 169 hands. Mm. What would be the best format to execute that idea? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That's, uh, I guess, the, the chicken before the egg, or depending on how you look at it, for sure. Um, so in that case, I've got to ask, and how much, well, you know exactly what it's all planned out. You know the, the eventual end goal, you'll have 169 episodes there. Um, how much time and effort do you invest prior to recording each new episode? A lot. It's, it's, it's pre-production intensive because you have to, because I work with the guests to try to find a hand and then, you know, uh, they can't, you know, nobody can take the same hand. Um, so yeah, and then I research the guests depending on whether or not um, they have a book. That's that's the tough part, Wombi. When a guest has a book, I like before the pandemic, I had like my guests with books list just kept piling up because I, I wasn't finding time to read the books. And I was like, I don't want <laughs> to interview this person until I've read their book or at least read most of it. So it just kept piling up. And um, since the pandemic, I've been able to read more books. <laughs> and so I've been getting them on my pod. Like, um, they're, like, like uh, Michael Acevedo is coming on soon. Like sure. Nicole Perkins. Um, and yeah, that, uh, that, is, that, that has been one of my sticking points. Interesting. Uh, but so, because, you know, normally it would be maybe like four, you know, between contacting and like researching, it might be a few hours, but if they bring the book, now it's become like seven hours, right? Right, right. So it's a big difference, right? So that's interesting. So I guess the key to being invited on as a guest is having written a poker book, right? For all of our listeners out there who want to get, who want to get to the writing aspect, uh, there's still a few hands available. So another what you're on episode 40 something right now? Yeah, I'm on episode um, 40. 40, we've recorded like 47, yeah. 47, so another 120 or so to go. So, you know, there's plenty of room to, to get more poker books written and, and get invited on the grid. <laughs> Eventually you're gonna get down to like the last 10 hands or so. I'm like, oh, no one wants to play that hand. No one wants to, to, to research that one. Do, do you feel, actually it's funny, you know, it's a interesting question. You know, at this point, you know, you're I guess one third or one quarter of the way through, and you kind of have your, your pick of hands still. There's a lot of hands, obviously, still mm-hmm. uh, of whole cards. Do you sort of feel as time will progress that it'll get more difficult to find that hand, the person who can attack it, describe it, and then have an entire podcast worth of material about? Yeah, it is hard. It's going to get harder. Um, luckily, the podcast is not only about the hand. We also delve into their vibes and approach to poker. It's more just like a, a device to get people talking about a story. And then I can, and I like the way that that kind of flows into a general discussion. Because one thing I found in my own podcast was that sometimes I would like, you know, I couldn't think of anything when somebody asked me for like a specific story. Like I just, my brain throws, like for instance, when you ask me players that I extroverted players, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I froze for a second. Like I needed like a, a minute to actually come up with the answers because you know, when you're in the mode of having a conversation, sometimes those memories don't recall that quickly. That's so my nice. idea was that would be like a device to get people talking about something that actually happened. And then you could talk about more general topics. Oh, um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's going to be hard. And uh, I like math and I'm not a great mathematician. I didn't study it in school, but I love the power of math to kind of like unlock truths about the world. And there's this kind of uh, riddle or statistical um, paradigm called like the coupon collectors um, problem. And that's about how like if you get uh, a certain, it's kind of similar like the McDonald's game that they made a documentary about where, you know, you try to collect all the different properties and how, oh, right. Much, right. And right. how much more difficult it comes at the end because, 
well, in that case, because the mafia was involved in actually <laughs> <laughs> stealing um, the, the, the top properties and, um, and you know, uh, figuring out how to sell them internally. But that, that said, it was, it's still difficult just by virtue of the fact that at the end, if you only have a few hands left, um, you have to find somebody who wants to talk about that hand specifically, which makes it a much more difficult problem. And I have a couple ideas. One thing I think I might do at the end is have like, which I know is like a really social guy you're going to like, and I'm going to invite you. I'm going to have like a meetup game and I'll I'll print out all the remaining combos. And like, it'll just kind of be like a bounty on the combo that you have to win a hand with it, but it also has to be like an interesting hand. Oh, awesome. Awesome. All in pre-flop with like 10 free off or something. That's a great idea. Wow. I like it. Yeah, yeah, that and that that could be a cool way to kind of like finish off the project with like you know, uh, out without it just kind of dragging on endlessly. Awesome. Well, looking forward to that happening. That's going to be fun. Um, well, we are uh, the, the clock is ticking. I know you've got uh, other commitments. I want to just get uh, my last couple of questions in before we turn to the Cards Chat community to hear the questions that they have for you. Um, just a little bit of a, a more personal question. Uh, I've met your husband, uh, Daniel Mayrome. He's a really great guy. Uh, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, beyond building a family together, the two of you also work together. Uh, quite closely. I know he produces your podcasts and you guys also create a a variety of different arts. You mentioned you've got an artistic side. uh, It's based around your shared passion for games. What's it like working with your husband and also sharing professional experiences with him beyond just the personal experiences? Oh, it's great. I mean, we love love spending time together, which is very corny and, uh, you know, we'd love to spend a, a few different few different lifetimes together so hey why not <laughs> why not spend as much as we can in this one um although we do i do feel like we have um it's it, it, i can understand a lot of people are having relationship difficulties during this time because they're mm-hmm. spending even more time together and i would just suggest to people um having a lot of experience working from home and spending like you know all of my time with my partner um you know if you had if you have a guest bedroom, like, don't be afraid to use it, you know? Like, I mean, that is something that, you know, people in, like, movies and stuff, it's, like, a cliche, like, like somebody's sleeping on a couch. But, like, you know, sometimes people just need some time to, like, you know, dream and read and their own, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I, or, or if it's um, just getting away for the day by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just create that space. That's a good answer. Not, 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 not what I expected to hear. I'm not sure what I expected to hear, but that one certainly was uh, eye-opening. And I think, uh, you know, like you said, uh, some good advice for, from people potentially during this time when you're, you know, with, with family. A very interesting answer. Um, my personal last question is, um, it's of course known that the uh, best chess players, they, they really know how to anticipate their opponent's next move. So obviously you and I were not opponents or anything, but I have to know how many of my questions did you see coming from a mile away? Um, good question. Um, well, that one is definitely unexpected. Um, <laughs> that, one I, one. that one I've never heard before. That one I've never heard before. Um, <laughs> you, you're, you're, you're a great interviewer. So. Uh, but, uh, I, was, well, I was not fishing, but thank you very much. I appreciate that. I just had to ask something like that. I think it's good to have a mix of like questions that people are expecting and ones that they aren't. And I, I think in general, I'm just big on that, like the mix. That's what the grid is. It's like, 
I want a mix of stories and exposition, like because that's what I think a good essay should be. And I, and in part, I feel like I'm a writer more than anything. And mm-hmm. so, and I, I feel like I wasn't achieving that sometimes. So that's why I did the grid. And I think the mix of like you know of social questions and personal questions is, is something that you know you're good at doing. And like personal questions and more strategic questions, right? I think that's because you're showing the professional side and the personal side of the bio, right? So you're showing those both sides. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for saying so. Well, one of the things we do uh, here on the Card Chat Podcast is not just about uh, Robbie researching and and finding questions. We also involve our community, uh, members uh, of the forum. We want to see what questions you have for our guests. And of course, uh, once we let everyone know that we've got uh, Jennifer coming on as a guest, they they came forth. Uh, the questions poured forth and we just selected a few uh, of some really interesting ones, certainly not ones that would have crossed my mind. So I'm definitely curious to hear the answers here. So uh, our first community question is from Red Gnome, G-N-O-M, sorry, G-N-O-M, right, uh, Red Gnome, uh, who asks, uh, with an eye to your book, Chess Bitch Women in the Ultimate uh, Intellectual Sport, published in 2005, what would you like to add or revise nowadays? Well, that's a great question. Chess bitch, what would I add or revise? You know, I would talk about, um, you know, in that book, I feel like um, I was, I was, uh, I remember saying the words that I thought separate women's tournaments and chess were a necessary evil. And I, I don't like the way I put that because I don't like using the word evil there at all. Like, I think that, it's a, a wrong way to look at things. I don't, I, and I, and I feel like sometimes we get gaslighted and because things are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And so um, we like, we, um, you know, somehow take, take this negative approach to something like to me now, I don't see it that way at all. I see women and girls tournaments as something that, you know, you don't judge it based on some like weird, you know, psychological theories or like, you know, negative cultural associations. You judge it by whether or not, it's adding value and happiness into the world or not, right? Mm-hmm. And generally, I think it is because they're popular. It's supply and demand. So I, now I refuse the framing of questions like that. Whereas I feel like in checklists, I was still kind of like acquiescing to the fact that like, oh, it's kind of bad because men and women should always play together. And now I'm just like, man, nah, it's just yeah. Like if women sometimes want to play separately, that's awesome if they're having a good time and they're learning. Um, so that that's one thing I think that I would have written with even more sophistication and understanding. And then um, I would also probably change my opinion on the uh, somewhat harsh words I had for women who combine their sexuality and looks with trying to become successful. I, I was trying to look at both sides. So I was saying like, yeah, you know, it's understandable people are trying to make money from being both a good chess player and also beautiful. But that I also saw the other side that our culture needs to focus more on the intellectual and internal side of female brilliance. Mm-hmm. And I actually still agree with that. I still agree with that. But at the same time, I'm more understanding of how difficult the world is for women, mm-hmm. especially in a country like the United States where we have very few social services. So, you know, like maternity leave or healthcare. So if a woman wants to make more money by, you know, merging her, her, you know, her appearance and her skill um, earlier in her career, um, I, I, I can't hate on that at all because it's difficult out there. You know, yeah. it's very difficult out there. Whatever is getting people ahead 
Um, as long as it's obviously not, you know, evil or something like that. And I, and so I, instead of attacking the individual, I think it's more about attacking the structure. And to me, the structure is a society in which we um, are becoming even more visually oriented, like, you know, Instagram images and um, doctoring images, Photoshop. Right. Hey, I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult question. I mean, you, you have daughter, right? Uh, yes, I have two daughters. You have two daughters. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult question, but I just try to like, hey, I try to look at myself because I create media. And I noticed that even me, I was sometimes posting too many photos of girls <laughs> playing tennis. And I was like, well, you know, I need to make sure to post as, as many test positions that they're playing as photos, right? right? No, granted, you know how social media works. The, the test positions don't get as many favorites. They don't. <laughs> they don't, but you still have to put it out there because you're sending a message as a leader that it's important what women are thinking, their intellectual content, not how they look while they're thinking. Sure. sure. Well, good answer. And, uh, you know, it's a good question as well from uh, Red Note. Thank you. We got uh, another community member who had a question. Acid Burn X asks, why do all chess players point at their pieces and squares with their middle fingers? That's a crazy observation because I don't think I've ever noticed that. Their middle fingers? No, I feel like usually their index finger. <laughs> I don't, I just read the questions. I don't know, but I saw it. I was like, really? That's fascinating. Got to ask Jennifer for sure. I think that people sometimes in chess and even poker, they think that it's such a difficult intellectual game that sometimes there's this feeling that the closer your brain and your body gets to the pieces, the more you'll see. And I actually <laughs> that's true. I, I really do. I think for some people that's true. That like, this kind of like that proximity of your body to the actual pieces makes you see more. <laughs> but it's probably more like a psychological thing than anything. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, uh, we've got to mix it up. Like you said, we've got some interesting questions here from the community. Um, I'm going to paraphrase uh, sort of a three-question series by our community member, Shells, uh, basically asking, what single event do you feel is your biggest accomplishment in poker and, and, and in chess? Um, well, I guess I would say winning, um, winning the, uh, the Open Face High Roller Championship in uh, Prague uh, because, uh, like I like I went into it earlier, and the the uh, it was a small tournament, so it wasn't about that I won as much as that I found myself in that position to be one of the best players in that format in the world at that time. With all of the work that went into that um, on my own, which I was very proud of. Uh, obviously, some people helped me. Like I said, I worked a little bit with Bill Chen and some of those guys, but I did a lot of work just figuring that stuff out on my own. And it's uh, kind of kind of cool because I think that's pretty hard to do. Um, and then in chess, I would say, um, well, winning my first U.S. chess championship. Awesome. That's great. Good, good to have uh, winning moments to, to reflect back on. And thank you, Shells, for that question. Uh, our last community member had a couple of questions. I want to make sure I get both of these in before it's time to say goodbye. Uh, this is from Fletch Dad. Uh, he's got the first question. It's a little bit wordy, but it's a, it's a great question. I play chess and cannot for the life of me think two, three, five, eight moves ahead. Like if I move here, they move there or there, or maybe even there. And then I have all the possible moves for each possibility to consider is a mere mortal, sorry, is a mere mortal, uh, parentheses, an old one at that, capable of learning to do this? 
Is an old, what was the last part of the question? Is a mere mortal, an old one at that, capable of learning to do this? Yes, capable, yes. Um, you know, being able to see three to five to eight moves ahead is all dependent on how many pieces are on the board and how complex the position is. So if you think that you can't do it, what you do is you simplify. So now all of a sudden, um, you know, empty the board and have it only be, you know, a couple pawns. And now start analyzing moves ahead. And it's much easier because we're, we're trying to make it a little bit easier by clarifying the situation. And now, by contrast, if I tell a, you know, I actually posted on my Twitter yesterday a problem that was a maiden one. And the board was so cluttered with pieces. There were thousands of pieces on the board. I think there were like eight queens, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not eight, but there were like five or six queens, right? It was so difficult that a grandmaster said that it took him four minutes to solve it. And it was just a one move made. Hmm. So that shows you the contract in chess. You can see many moves ahead as a beginner with an empty board. And a grandmaster could have trouble seeing one move ahead in a board that is absolutely cluttered with pieces. So, um, yeah, I, I think a poker analogy to that would be if you're having trouble, you know, counting combos, like you see the pros do, like they talk about in training videos. Sure. Then take an exceedingly narrow range. Take a situation where it's like a five bet pot, where ri- literally the person has like aces, kings, and ace, king, or something. And maybe like, you know, one tiny amount of the time, ace, five suited, right? Or whatever it is. Maybe that's too narrow because you have to guess precisely, right? But like a four bet pot, something where the range of hands is so narrow that you can count the, the combos on your fingers. And suddenly you can say, okay, that was, that was hard. But if I get better, I can start chunking that and doing that for pots that are much, um, you know, wider ranges. Hmm. It's funny. I had a feeling you would do that is that you basically predicted uh, accurately, like a good chess player does, the follow-up question that Fletch Dad has. And I'll just read it to you just to say, oh, look at that. You did predict it. And he basically asked, do you also do this when you play poker? Meaning, do you put your opponent on a range and then do you have a play for each possibility in that range? Or is poker not really done like that? Sort of, in other words, do you, do you think about range possibilities in your response? And if so, are you pre-flop, for example, already thinking about the turn moves or is a poker more of a, a wait and see than decide? I think you kind of touched upon that. Yeah, I mean, I think that pre-flop, you know, I, I think a lot of your work in poker is done at home because you have to make very quick decisions when you're playing. So the idea is to, you know, have some things that you just kind of remember, right? So instead of like trying to work out uh, the range of your opponents um, while you're actually playing, you have done a lot of that work at home. And similar to chess, you're not trying to like figure out Roy Lopez over the board. You study it in advance. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down and you're ready. You're ready for those first six or seven moves. Yeah, yeah. Great, great answer. And um, thank you. Appreciate it. And I want to just also thank everyone who sent in questions for Jennifer and, and just uh, send out a friendly reminder to to all of our listeners, the entire Cards Chat community, that we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests. Uh, There's a dedicated thread for it on the forums. And of course, we hope you've enjoyed today's show. And thanks so much for taking part in the show and engaging with Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer, uh, thank you very much to you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski, and you can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. And guys, hope you have a wonderful day.
Thank you so much. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.